Well, once again, good afternoon, everyone. You're listening to Red Pill 78. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector. I hope you guys are having a lovely day. We've got a series of very important stories I'm going to be sharing with you. But of course, you know it. We've got to be taking a look at the latest in the Michael Sussman case. Some revelations about information I brought to you yesterday. And of course, new witness testimony from today. Then we're going to be getting an update on a story I brought you last week, the potential for Yuma County, Arizona investigations into election fraud. The revelations from 2000 Mules have played out in Yuma County, and it looks like some Democrat nonprofits did, in fact, get raided. Then we're going to be talking about the governor's race in Michigan. It looks like Governor Gretchen Whitmer is trying to outright steal it, essentially getting the Michigan Election Commission to remove all Republican challengers from the ballot. You cannot make this stuff up. And then we'll finally be discussing the Georgia State primary because the situation taking place there is wildly different from the Jim Crow 2.0 Joe Biden and the Democrats would have had you believe was going to take place. So do me a favor, sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and we're going to be right back after this. Well, it looks like a popular video conferencing app is getting sued in an $85 million settlement after they broke their privacy rights for their users. You see, millions of the users on this platform joined together to file a class action lawsuit after it was learned that this company had sold their users' data to social media companies. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of Virtual Shield. Virtual Shield keeps users anonymous online. When Virtual Shield is running, internet activity is encrypted, and that keeps hackers and data tracking corporations at bay. Even ISPs can't get around Virtual Shield. This way, you won't hear about your data being sold on the news. But get this, Virtual Shield has a strict no-log policy and zero hidden fees, and it's fast and secure. I personally let Virtual Shield run in the background of my computer all day. Imagine how much safer you'll be online with Virtual Shield 2. If you've been looking for a way to browse the internet anonymously, you're gonna love Virtual Shield. And right now, they're offering 50% off to all my subscribers for life. That's right, 50% off for life only for my subscribers. If you sign up today, you'll also get a 30-day free trial for the next 24 hours by going to virtualshield.com forward slash redpill78. And remember, when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right, guys, welcome back and thank you so much for sticking around. So beginning today, first of all, some extremely exciting developments taking place in Yuma County, Arizona. Just last week, it was Carrie Lake, the Republican candidate for governor there in Arizona. She commented on Twitter, or perhaps it was Truth Social, that she heard that there were some raids that were going on at some of these uh, nonprofit organizations that would have been the hub for the ballot trafficking and the ballot harvesting operations taking place in Yuma County. The exact same type of operations that we saw proven in 2000 Mules in Georgia and in other places. Well, it's now been confirmed the Yuma County Sheriff's Department did, in fact, serve service Search warrants not only at these nonprofit organizations, but also at the homes of employees. And it's all due to the revelations that came out in 2000 Mules in the ballot trafficking election scandal that they were able to prove in that landmark film. The film that is now the greatest, uh, most popular political documentary ever created in America. Tomorrow, I'm going to be interviewing Dinesh D'Souza. That interview will debut at 8 p.m. Eastern time here on my channel. So hopefully I'm going to see you guys there for that. But 
but the film really set the stage for the way that we need to go about investigating these things. Uh, these Democrat-run nonprofits were the center where the mules would come in and get the ballots. They would collect them there as well. They would pay people to take them and stuff them into ballot boxes. And in so many cases, we saw it right there on film. These mules would take a picture and then they would go back and get more ballots, making return trip after return trip. Remember, the traffic of these mules went from the ballot harvesting operation at these nonprofits back to the ballot box and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So the the fact that Yuma County, Arizona, is actually investigating this, executing search warrants, and actually interviewing these people in relation to the crimes that were committed, this is very, very good for election integrity. I've also heard that uh, some of the people who have been uh, questioned in regards to their efforts to steal the election have begun to sing. The birds have begun to sing, they've said. Uh, so it looks like this is going to lead to additional arrests and additional investigations. Now, Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips specifically investigated the ballot trafficking there in Yuma County, Arizona, and that information was included in 2000 Mules. So they have a great base to begin with there uh, to know exactly where to investigate and who to look at. Now, uh, Catherine Engelbrecht had this to say. 18 months ago, we knew that when the full story was told about Yuma County, Arizona, it would reveal systematic, systemic ballot trafficking with connections that spread nationwide. It's now happening, thankfully, with law enforcement fully engaged. Much more remains to be revealed in the days ahead. That is just a little teaser. I'm hoping that we're going to see the exact same type of raids and investigations taking place in other states, hopefully places like Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin. And I'm sure, as she says, this extends nationwide, virtually every state in the country where they have these ballot drop boxes. I am certain there is a Democrat run nonprofit very close by so they could very easily run these trafficking and harvesting operations, paying money for people to drop off ballots. And then they come back and they get more on this note. The fact that this is definitely going to be leading to additional arrests, additional indictments, and additional investigations. I'm going to take you real briefly to Greg Phillips' truth social profile because he just put out some information on this fact. All right, so take a look. If anybody is going to know about this stuff because they're directly involved in the investigation, it's going to be Greg Phillips. It's going to be Catherine Engelbrecht. Greg says, don't listen to the haters about Arizona. There were two people previously arrested in Yuma County for ballot trafficking and both pled guilty. The recent search warrants for the NGO and leadership of that NGO are a direct result of the two guilty pleas one of which happened almost immediately following the release of 2,000 mules. They knew their goose was cooked. Remember the whistleblower in the movie In the Shadows? Sounds like they're from Yuma County. The Arizona AG is running this op. He and his team are kicking butt. So let me ask you guys this. Does this sound to you like Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich is actually working on election integrity in the background? Is this only a little taste of the action so that he can try to get elected uh, to his Senate position? I don't know, but I like the idea that Bernovich is actually doing something behind the scenes. And the reason we haven't heard about it is because it's an ongoing investigation. All right, next, uh, briefly moving on to Michigan. Something we've seen in the past is that Democrats, if they don't think they can win at the ballot box, they go ahead and resort to cheating. Dirty tricks from Democrats is something we've seen time and time again. And the Michigan Board of Elections has just resorted to tossing off the ballot 
some of the top five contenders, and that includes Anon Donna Brandenburg, also former Detroit Police Chief James Craig and Michigan billionaire Perry Johnson. Uh, the Bureau of Elections is claiming that they did not turn in enough valid signatures. Now, I don't know if this is going to stand. I'm certain that all of these candidates are going to have a legal fight ahead of them to maintain their position on the ballots here. But right now we have 10 Republican challengers to Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. Michigan. And if five of them are removed, well, it's going to uh, narrow the slate down quite a bit. And I don't know anything about those five that are going to remain on there. Donna Brandenburg was my top pick. If it wasn't going to be her, I would say James Craig. But I've heard some crazy stuff about James Craig as well. So we're going to have to wait to see how this one plays out. But just know that right now, the Democrat machine and Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan are doing everything they can to ensure that when it comes time for the general election in November, she is trying to ensure that she's the only candidate with any name recognition on that ballot and certainly that all of the republicans who are going to be there are not going to be a threat to her all right and next before we turn our attention to the michael sussman trial we got to check in with the situation in georgia Georgia is obviously a very important state, a state that in 2020 was stolen through the use of ballot harvesting and ballot trafficking. In response to that, the Georgia state legislature enacted some new laws which would allow for early voting, but would tighten up the voter procedures to ensure that election integrity was maintained. Uh, We're not doing the same thing we did this time around with the unlimited mail-in ballots. Instead, they wanted people to come out and vote in person. And, of course, they wanted you to show an ID. Now, people like Stacey Abrams and her proxies in the mainstream media, as well as Joe Biden, claimed that these new voter integrity regulations would amount to nothing short of Jim Crow 2.0. Well, the numbers in early voting have drastically blown that narrative out of the water. As of Friday, we had a record voter turnout, and as of today, the record is even larger. Uh, We had 406,388 Republicans turn out to vote and 299,232 Democrats turn out to vote. That is according to the Georgia Recorder. Now, as of Friday, it was about 710,000 people who had cast their ballot. Uh, There was a three week early voting period that allowed people to come out and vote ahead of actual election day uh, in an effort to make it easier for people to cast their ballots. Now, this total. Total number here amounted to a 180 percent increase over the same point in the 2018 primary election and a 149 percent increase over the same point in the 2020 primary election. Uh, Apparently, lines were minimal. People didn't have a really hard time voting. But as it got closer to Election Day, apparently people were waiting for up to an hour, which is really not that bad. But at the end of the day. Republican primary turnout was far higher than Democrats, and it also looks like people who would normally be voting for Democrats actually came out to cast a ballot for the GOP instead. I think they took a look at the Democrats' agenda and the state of the country, and they said, absolutely not this time. I'm not going to be voting for more of the same. Now, we also, as I said, have Brian Kemp on the ballot. David Perdue is running against him. He has the endorsement of Donald Trump. Also, we have Brad Raffensperger on the ballot. I don't care who's running against him. I just hope that the people 
people of Georgia elect somebody else. We also have the uh, U.S. Senate GOP primary where Herschel Walker is running. He also has the endorsement of Donald Trump. But when we take a look at all of the early voting numbers, we have 850,000 Georgians that came out to cast their ballot early. That is a 168% increase over 2018. It shows you that the enthusiasm to get this current slate of horrible people out of office uh, is really kicking it into overdrive. And Stacey Abrams was asked about how this could possibly be true. I thought this was Jim Crow 2.0. Let's listen to what she had to say. The question about voter suppression and voter turnout is causation without correlation. We, I'm sorry, you can make mistakes even when you know what you're talking about. It's correlation without causation. We know that increased turnout has nothing to do with suppressing. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems like the typical mental gymnastics that Democrats put them through in order to justify the lies they tell the American people. Stacey Abrams, if all of these voters are being suppressed, then why did more of them come out than came out previously? to cast ballots for the candidates that are running against you. It just doesn't make any sense. If the voters were being suppressed, they wouldn't have been able to cast these ballots. The fact that people are being asked to show ID is not suppressing anyone. I think it's emboldening people to make sure that they are the ones casting the ballot for themselves and that other people are not going to steal their votes. Stacey Abrams is absolutely trying to make a justification for the lies she's told the American people in the past, and it simply is working. I think the people of Georgia are wise to her grift and nobody is falling for it this time around. All right. And finally, the moment you've all been waiting for the latest testimony in the trial of Michael Sussman. Now, yesterday I brought you the information that an Allison Sands, she was the lead agent uh, working out of Chicago overseeing the Alpha Bank investigation. She remembered and she actually had some details in the form of emails and paperwork that the initial information about the Alpha Bank stuff had come from the DOJ in the form of a referral. Well, it appears that the FBI tried to muddy the truth on that just a little bit because there is no referral. And the whole thing came from Michael Sussman through James Baker. Now, it looks like there was some conflation with some terms. Uh, Allison Sands had apparently mistaken general counsel for the DOJ. Now, that sounds like something that a professional might have not done. Uh, but it turns out that Allison Sands was actually being trained at the time that this was happening. So did they try to use Allison Sands to take advantage of her lack of experience? Uh, were they simply trying to shove it through and hope that nobody would notice? Well, apparently in the documents presented today in testimony by Durham. It shows the FBI lied about the provenance of that Alpha Bank smear. They told their agents that it came from the DOJ and again that the person providing the information was a confidential human source but it was Sussman all along and we have a lot more information when we take a look at the testimony that I'm about to present to you. So in the Michael Sussman trial today, we begin with testimony from Trisha Anderson. Now, Anderson was the deputy assistant AG at the DOJ. And although Trisha was at the DOJ, she directly reported to James Baker at the FBI. Now, as such, she was directly involved with that Alpha Bank investigation. However, she claims to have little to no memory over the copious notes that she took during these meetings with James Baker. The prosecutor kind of made light of it, asking her, so you're here to testify about notes you have no memory in taking? And she said, yes. <laughs> now, the government entered into evidence all of these notes, and Trisha revealed the information that was contained therein had been provided by James Baker. 
Anderson exchanged a number of emails also with Sean Henry, Sean Henry of CrowdStrike fame back in June of 2016, which, of course, is going to connect her to that mid-year exam and the investigation into the DNC leaks. She also confirmed that Michael Sussman was working for the DNC and she knew it and that it was pretty unusual that anyone, Sussman or anyone else, would provide evidence directly to either her or Baker at the FBI. Now, the next person to take the stand was Curtis Hyde. Curtis Hyde is important because he was the direct supervisor of Allison Sands, the ones that I mentioned from yesterday. She, again, was that lead agent overseeing the Alpha Bank investigation. They were both working out of Chicago. Uh, she's the one who had believed that she received the Alpha Bank intel as a referral from the DOJ. But again, the problem is there was no referral from the DOJ. It came directly from general counsel. That would have been James Baker. All of this was confirmed by Curtis Hyde. Now, Curtis also testified that the white paper written by that Georgia Tech professor, David Dagan, was not in line with the type of communication methods you would generally see, something that would be used for nefarious cyber activities. So he threw further shade on the claims that were made in that report. Now, further investigation by the agents at the FBI also concluded the exact same thing, that there was never any line of communication between Alpha Bank and the Trump organization. Hyde also attempted to interview the person who created this report. He sent a message to Joe Pienka, uh, and he was also told that, again, this guy is anonymous. You cannot interview him. And it appears that there was another anonymous source that had given additional allegations about Alpha Bank to a man named Tom Grasso. Tom worked at the cyber division. Now, this data included a list of IP addresses for review that attempted to match up with any previously provided data uh, in the original Alpha Bank claims. But apparently it led absolutely nowhere. Now, Curtis Hyde again stressed the the need to interview the source of this data. He said this would have been the next logical step in any investigation. But again, he got nowhere. Everybody stonewalled him every time he tried to put it out there that he needed to investigate this guy. And he's the one that actually testified the report from Sands claiming that there was a referral from the DOJ was simply a typographical error that it was actually the general counsel, not the DOJ. But the fact that there was a typo on something that important seems just a little too coincidental to me. Now, Curtis Hyde also testified he understood that the anonymous source came to general counsel directly through James Baker. And he also testified very importantly that the agents investigating these various sources of Alpha Bank information all felt that they were from the exact same anonymous person and that if he or any of these other agents would have known that it was Michael Sussman or anybody connected to a political campaign, it probably would have made a very large difference in the way that the investigation proceeded. Now, this is also very interesting here. We learned during cross-examination by the defense that an internal message from Joe Pienka stated that the seventh floor was fired up about the servers. Pienka was leading the Crossfire Hurricane investigation at that time that he sent this message. And in case you had forgotten, the seventh floor group was as close to an official deep state organization inside the United States government as you could possibly get. The seventh floor group had previously been exposed in an email from WikiLeaks where stated that a shadow government group on the seventh floor was protecting Hillary Clinton, and it seems that they were protecting Hillary Clinton in this instance as well. 
Now, it also appears that at this time, Joe Pienka knew that Michael Sussman was the source of the intel. So it seems very likely that the seventh floor group also knew that Michael Sussman was the source of the data. And knowing that, it's also very likely they knew that Hillary Clinton was the genesis of this data. It was at this point that the government entered into evidence that infamous Rodney Jaffe email in which David Dagan was copied. This is the point at which he instructed his team to examine this bogus Alpha Bank data and not to spend more than an hour on it. At this point, the defense objected because they clearly didn't want any additional connections between Jaffe and Dagan to be any better established. The next witness to testify was fairly important. This was a man named Jared Novick. Jared Novick worked with Jaffe professionally at his company Bitvoyant. This company had a controlling interest owned by Rodney Jaffe. They provided DNS data that was used as part of this illusion of an Alpha Bank connection to President Trump. Bitvoyant had been tasked with harvesting this data in order to analyze potential money transfers from Russia to the United States. And there were some very important people that were included as targets of this investigation. They included people like Roger Stone, Paul Manafort and Carter Page. Now, the details of this work are not part of the allegations contained in this case. But they are important because they further establish another link in the chain among all of these people that are involved in this case. And they further establish that there was never any link between Alpha Bank or the Trump Organization. Now, Jaffe directly tasked Novik and his company Bitvoyant to put this information together, prepare a report. And at the end, it was going to be provided to some very special VIPs. Interesting, Novik said that he and Jaffe had some friction. They didn't really get along, and uh, Novik didn't care for the way that Jaffe treated subordinates. Novik actually prepared this report and then provided it to the office of the special counsel. It was named Crimson Rhino because they directly did not want people to know that it was actually an investigation into Trump and people surrounding Trump. Beyond the creation of the report and the delivery to Rodney Jaffe, Novik was not specifically told who the final product was meant to be delivered to. Uh, But what's important is that in the end, He and his organization determined that there were no financial ties between any Russian affiliated individuals and anybody affiliated with the Trump organization. Uh, And the special counsel went looking for this final report in Michael Sussman's office. Although Michael Sussman did not have the final report, he did have a report with a very similar title that undoubtedly included much of the information contained in the final Crimson Rhino report. Michael Sussman possessed this information prior to delivering his his Alpha Bank claims to the FBI. So he knew when delivering it that there was no connection between Trump and Russia. His personal and professional interest in going to the FBI is further cemented by the revelation of this intelligence. Now, Novik also said that he was very uncomfortable with this project. He said from the start, it felt like opposition research. And although he wasn't told the report was meant for Michael Sussman, Jaffe did let him know that the report was going to be delivered to a lawyer. Of course, the implication is that lawyer was Michael Sussman. Now, as the trial of Michael Sussman continues and people continue to take the stand, I'm sure you're hearing a lot of names that were very familiar to you in the past because a lot of the same FBI agents who worked on the Alpha Bank hoax, the same agents who knew from the start that this came from Hillary Clinton and her lawyer, Michael Sussman, and who knew that this information was no good, it was fake news, a lot of them ended up working on the Mueller investigation. How is it that FBI agents working on something they knew was fake 
could then end up on an investigation into Trump's alleged ties to Russia when they knew from the start that none of those ties existed. Uh, As I said earlier, we've wasted tens of millions of dollars on investigations that have gone absolutely nowhere because there was never any good underpinning. There was never any real connection between Russia or President Trump or his organization. Hillary Clinton knew this the entire time. She basically ran the end of her campaign on it. She stated over and over again that there was evidence that Trump was connected to Russia. People in Congress like Adam Schiff stated they had conclusive proof tying Trump to Russia, but none of it ever materialized because none of it ever existed. The hoax surrounding the Clintons' desire to destroy President Trump was supported by those people at the FBI. And once they learned that there was never any basic story to base an investigation on with the Alpha Bank story, they then moved on to the Mueller investigation to try to find additional information. They went from pivot to pivot to pivot, trying to pin something related to Trump-Russia collusion on our president, and it never worked. Peter Strzok definitely would have known about the Alpha Bank hoax because he was there in the middle of all of it. He had been working on Trump-Russia collusion since early 2016. The Crossfire Hurricane investigation began on July 31st, 2016, and by the time that Michael Sussman arrived with this Alpha Bank hoax in the fall of 2016, it was clear that everything was political opposition research that had been put together by Hillary Clinton. And as I stated, now that we know the Seventh Floor Group was deeply involved as well, and they were stoked about the presence of this information— it's highly likely that they also knew that there was no there there. Peter Strzok transferred into the Mueller investigation back in May of 2017, and he made a direct decision not to tell Mr. Mueller or Andrew Weissman that the investigation into President Trump was never going to lead anywhere. When you realize that all the same FBI agents involved in both investigations willfully misled the American public and all of these investigators, you have to ask yourself, why is the FBI still standing? Why is it that nobody has taken a clean slate and wiped these people out to begin with something new? Every single one of them knew it was a lie. Every single one of them worked as hard as they could to destroy President Trump, and they were never able to be successful because President Trump never had any connection to Russia. The best we can hope for is that John Durham brings these people to justice, and then when President Trump comes back, he does exactly what I just suggested. Wipe the FBI clean and begin with a clean slate. All right, my friends, that's all I've got for you today. I want to thank everyone for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow with the latest developments in the Michael Sussman trial and, of course, whatever news breaks during the day. And then tomorrow night at 8 p.m., I will be here for my interview with Dinesh D'Souza, where we'll be discussing 2,000 Mules, the brand new investigations taking place as a result of the revelations in that movie, and so much more. So be here tomorrow night. I'll see you in the chat. Until then, good luck and God bless.